I'm Mike Levin. I'm running for Congress against Daryl Issa, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show, episode 629 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. I thought you were going to say the dry skinned. Uh, it is, the, you are not. <laughs> I am happy right now, so happy right now. Uh huh. As everyone knows, uh huh. We live in the, in the Southern California. Yes. And there is a, a weather phenomenon that happens in mm-hmm. the Southern California called the Santa Ana winds. Yeah, and I'm I'm not reading what I'm about to say. I just I have some expertise in this area. Um, <laughs> Santa Ana winds are strong, extremely dry downslope winds. Oh, they are, are that they? originate inland. That's right in the desert and affect coastal Southern California and northern Baja California. All right, well they originate <laughs> All right. again. Just me continuing here with my knowledge. Here, yeah. um, they originate from cool, dry, high pressure air masses Mm. uh, in the Great Basin. You don't say. Mm -hmm. So what that means (laughs) is that we get these these winds coming out of the desert, the hot fucking desert, that just pour in all of this insane hot air. For the past three days, it's been like 95, 98 degrees right here on the coast. We don't live inland. We live just a stone's throw from the ocean, mm-hmm. where it's usually you get a little breeze, a little cool breeze. Mm-hmm. It's nice. You can leave your doors open, and the the breeze just rolls through your house. Uh huh. Not when Santa Ana it winds are going on. No, it was a hundred degrees last week, and as I just said, but very go ahead. very dry. Yeah, and it just it heats everything up. It sucks all the moisture out of the air. It, it sucks is, all the moisture out of my skin. It's it's. It's very terrible. Um, but we also have to say that aside from the like skin issues and the um, feeling kind of hot issues, there's the more serious issue of um, fires and people having to evacuate their their homes because of the winds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a fire pretty close to us. Way to make me feel like a dick, by the way. You're welcome. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Holy shit. The, the other day we we could smell the fires like very prominently and i was wondering what the hell was going on because it even looked like doomsday-ish a little hazy outside yeah yeah and it was right at dusk so you know it gets almost that orange well like you got a weird filter on a camera lens yeah Yeah. like we were living the scene in a bible you know from the bible living the scene in a bible (laughs) biblical scholar everybody yeah britney page yeah uh (laughs) here let me find something to read (laughs) Um, what was I talking about? 
the fires, the doomsday, right? The right, biblical right. scene yeah. in a Bible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, there was a a car that caught on fire and on the side of the road. Yeah, and then that resulted in a large brush fire very close to us. Not very close to us, but you know, a neighboring city. Um, and and so it's just it turns into hell here when this happens. Yeah. So it's terrible, and it's over. For now, I mean, it, the For temperature now. the temperature dropped. I got like a Google alert. Whenever the temperature, I don't know why it, it alerts me, but it's like, hey, it's going to be... 13 degrees cooler tomorrow. Well, it's because it knows it's important for your health and general mental health as well. Yeah, you could stop slathering on the lotion. Mm-hmm. You have not be been cooler. doing that. I have not been doing that. Um, I, I do want to say... But Google assumed I did. Yeah. Google thought so. There used to be like Santa Ana wind seasons, I thought, where it was like, this is the time of year that this kind of thing happens. And I feel like that has gone away. Because it's not on the reg. Is this the typical time that this would happen? It seems to me like when I go back through my my memories on Facebook, you know, they alert you. Hey, you got some sweet memories to look at on the Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'll go through and it's right around this time of the year that I'm like, come on, man. And I'm posting a picture of it being 95 degrees. Oh, okay. Usually it's at like at the end of November, though. I see. Um, but who knows? It's just, you know. My favorite topic is the weather and how to bitch about shit. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Mm-hmm. So do we have some listener communication? I believe we have some emails to get to. Yeah. We have an email here from Josh. Hey, guys, just finished listening to your analysis of the most recent Democratic debate. Excellent, as always, and very nuanced. Jesse, I wanted to address your argument about Bernie's health. Uh Uh-oh. I wanted to see if you'd expand a little further on it because I haven't really thought about how I feel about our elected officials' health. I don't disagree with you about understanding our candidates' health, but what is your opinion then of Ruth Bader Ginsburg serving on the Supreme Court? She is 86 years old and has faced a number of fairly serious health issues, but losing her right now would surely be of the highest consequence to the country. Do you believe she should step down at the consequence of opening up a Republican-controlled seat? To say the difference is we have knowledge of Bernie's health issues beforehand, RBG could simply resign. Same goes for the argument that the nature of serving on the Supreme Court is that it's a lifetime appointment. She could still resign. I don't recall anyone really calling for John McCain or Elijah Cummings to resign either. I'm basically trying to better grasp how I should apply this metric of examining the health of candidates, because to me, due to the unprecedented times we are in, what may normally be owed serious consideration in a candidate may not be as important, at least right now. Thanks, Josh. Hmm. Well, it really is we're comparing apples and oranges here because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a Supreme, obviously, a Supreme Court justice who does have a lifetime appointment. And right now, if she were to resign, we would end up with Brett Kavanaugh Part 2. So absolutely, we don't want her to resign. Also, just the nature of their positions is vastly different. I like. I don't think there's a comparison there. I don't know exactly what what Josh wants uh, from an answer, but the president of the United States is restricted to two terms of four years each, according to the Twenty Second Amendment of the Constitution. 
The President of the United States appoints other positions, an entire cabinet, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, setting economic policy, interest rates, setting our economy on a track uh, for success or, or kind of managing that. The president is a completely different position, to state the obvious. I don't, I, I mean, am I, is there something that, that I should be answering that, I, I just don't understand what, why there would be a, well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is old and she's been sick. It, it just, it's not the same thing. Bernie said, if a president were to die in office, even Donald Trump, the fucking nightmare train wreck that he is, it would be cataclysmic. Maybe not. Maybe that's a little strong, cataclysmic. But it would be uh, some rough, choppy seas moving forward for the foreseeable future in the markets, economically, for the world to lose a president while in office because it ha it's happened so few times. So uh, what I think Josh is getting at, first, let me say, I, I do believe it is different um, saying that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she could just resign like I don't think that vetting the presidential can candidates in the primary season here um, is the same thing as saying, like, as soon as someone who is in their office has some sort of health scare that they need to get out of that office. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is hanging on. Um, I don't want to say by a thread because she's obviously a very strong woman and, and she um, is kicking ass and very impressive related to yeah. everything that she's been through. But I believe that she probably would have resigned by now, if not for the current situation Absolutely. that we are in. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure she can't wait to just like chill out. Man. Yeah. Just relax. Right. There's a lot weighing on her right yeah. now. I mean, I have no idea about any of this. This is just what I think from afar. And well, what I've I mean, heard reading about everything. You have a, you have a common sense among you and she's in her eighties and she's had cancer three separate times, which she's, she's beaten, but certainly she's in a health situation. That's not ideal for yeah. an 86 year old woman. Yeah. But I think what, what Josh is maybe trying to get at is, is your concern ultimately going to flip? If let's say Bernie Sanders is the democratic presidential candidate that is going up against Donald Trump. Will you still be saying, wow, we really can't vote for someone that has this health problem. This is really serious. Of course not. Okay. Yeah. That's, of course that's not. my point. So that is what I think that Josh was getting at is where is your line for this concern? And I think the answer to Josh's question is, well, the line for your concern is when we are in that vetting process of trying to choose the best possible person and that's we're right. weighing all of the different concerns that yeah, we do and should have. It's, look, we have a choice of of, you know, 12 viable candidates right now, many of whom I don't agree with on policy. One of whom is 78 years old with a serious heart condition. In the primary, we have choices to narrow that, that 12 down to, to one. If, if he ends up being the nominee, I will vote for a deathbed coma victim, Bernie Sanders, over Donald Trump. And come on. Yeah, so I... And I don't know, right? Josh can tell us if we're getting this right. But when I was reading it, that's basically what I think he was getting at is where is your line here? Um, I think 
asking if you would be in support of people resigning is trying to take it a little too far with your argument. Well, I would, um, But I, I would, think he was just looking for that line. Listen, if Bernie Sanders, 78-year-old heart condition Bernie Sanders, were to be elected president of the United States and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I would expect her to resign immediately. But if a, if, if a... The damage that's done, the uncertainty that's created when a when a a a Supreme Court justice dies, like Antonin Scalia did a few years ago, there's still a system in place by which the court still works. And we also have a system in place by which the presidency works because the vice president takes over and then they appoint a a, a, a vice president once they're president. But we didn't elect that person to be president. I, I I don't know. I, I just, I don't understand the, there's so many people who are pushing back against my concern about Bernie's health. And I think it's weird. I think it's a little, it might be harsh, but cultish. It's a little like, no matter what, Bernie's your guy. Nothing will change that. I think that's problematic when we have a very real heart condition. Well, on an almost eighty-year-old man. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I no. I, I what you're describing. Well, first of all, I don't know, right? I don't know about what you just said. That people are like not willing to look at this issue seriously, whatever. Um, but any kind of cultish adherence to any kind of candidate, regardless of whatever health condition, that should not be a thing, right? Uh, any kind of unceasing adherence right to any kind of candidate where you cannot acknowledge that there are problems or concerns no one is perfect if you agree with someone 100 on every issue that's a little concerning um because how often does that happen right i mean there just seems to be something that maybe someone is not acknowledging about their own views yeah. or something that they're not fully understanding about the other person's views because we're rarely are we 100% aligned with other people in our views and approaches to things so i think any kind of as you're describing it cultish mentality and adherence to a political candidate it should be concerning does that yeah fuck yeah because okay, you be. were specifying only in this like health related concern issue no and no I just wanna... in general in general i think bernie has a following that is cultish that is and i listen i shouldn't have to say it every fucking time we have a conversation about bernie that's not glowing with praise and adulation I love Bernie Sanders. Can, we, the, the America owes a debt to Bernie Sanders that will never be able to be paid for him opening the conversation and making real and realistic some of the conversations we're having surrounding Medicare for all, surrounding uh, marginal tax rates and a, and, and a progressive tax system. It's He's awesome. I love him. Does the fact... Fuck. Does the fact that you need to... Um, enter into whatever you just did there um it kind part of, of the cult kind of prove your point about yes. what you're making yeah that um if you weren't to do that then you would be seen as like attacking yeah. and being very unfair listen and- for those of you out here who don't really get or 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 believe what i'm saying go on twitter and criticize bernie sanders and see what fucking shit comes your way 
it's it's a very real thing, the devotion to Bernie Sanders that I believe is blind devotion, that no matter what he does. Well, and you get it with all presidential candidates. Anyone who is extremely in favor of one particular person, there does become uh, a dynamic where they feel like they need to protect that person, defend that person, because the support of that person has become a part of their identity. Right. Yeah. And sure. you are now a Sanders supporter. You are now a Warren supporter. You are now a Clinton person. Right. right. Whatever it is. I know she's not running this time. Well, listen, you get it. I voted for Bernie in the primaries in 2016. And we're going to continue <laughs> with. Well, it needs to be said because people are going to write in. People are going to call in. And they're going to attack me for 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 beating down on, on Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Whom I love and respect. Mm-hmm. I just also love having presidents that are not 78 years old with severe heart conditions, oddly enough. I mean, well, I'm a fucking wacky guy. So we have another email here. Thank you, Josh. By the way, all of that rage isn't directed at you, brother. It, it, is, it is just the situation in general. Thank you for writing in mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Yes. Good morning, wherever and whenever. I discovered the videos on YouTube and now subscribe to the podcast. Nice. I'm an American living in Tokyo, Japan, and I'm so happy that the orange troll managed to denuclearize North Korea. With submarines firing missiles now with a message directly to Japan that nothing will help. I'm so thankful we are finally fully engaged with the worst of the worst. I have an important question during these important times of potential impeachment. The word has gone out that everyone needs to contact their Congress critters. I am a Wyoming resident, a registered Democrat, somehow calling John Barrasso, Mike Enzi, parenthetically, I taught his children music and was the choir director in the same Presbyterian church. Mike Enzi, former shoe salesman. And cough Liz Cheney. Am I a bad person for not wishing to put myself through the needless gastric distress attempting to speak to such awful people who are clearly supporting the horrible person in the White House? Your help is greatly appreciated. And clearly, Popeye is the best part of the show. He clearly should be elevated to host. Best regards, Mark. Well, wake him up if you can, Mark, but he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's indisposed right now. He's a sleepy boy. Unable to host the show. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, well, one, when you call your representative, you call Mike Inzi or Liz Cheney or Barrasso, you're, you're not going to you're not going to be speaking to them on the phone. You're going to be talking to some legis not even a legislative assistant, just some intern, somebody answering the phone who's going to put a tick mark in on a list. Now, you know, being from Idaho, where they have a, a litany of hyper conservative nutter butters representing the state. You're probably not going to make a ton of difference. However, if enough people call and shit starts going the way that I predict it's going to go, you're going to be giving them incentive to vote the right way, especially where it relates to the Senate. We got the House wrapped up. We've got enough votes in the House to get the impeachment inquiry on and over to the Senate for mm-hmm. the trial. Mm-hmm. That's that's a done deal. So you can forego calling Liz Cheney. Although I, I want to say to Mark that this is a, a great question, and I'm glad that he wrote in and asked this question, because I think a lot of people 
they are afraid to call. They refrain from calling yeah. because the fear is that they're going to call and then it's going to be like, hello, this is Liz Cheney. Hashtag make America great again. Yeah, what can right. I help you that's with? Right. You know, she's not on the line. She's not. I mean, that's given her a lot of credit, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's got other shit going on. Like yeah. Being a congresswoman. Yeah. But it's an important question because some people really want to know yeah. what, what's going to be happening there. So so what you need to do is call 202-224-3121. That's the capital switchboard. They'll ask you your zip code, and then they'll connect you to whichever representative you want or your senator. And then the, you know, the the the, the eighteen or twenty year old answers the phone, Liz Cheney's office, and all you have to say is, "I I am I am so and so from such a place, and I expect the congresswoman, I expect the senator, to vote to impeach and remove Donald Trump from office. That's all you got to do." They're not going to say, well, why exactly? I need you to explain yourself. Mm -hmm. They just register your complaint. They put you as a tick mark on a list so they can understand kind of the goings on in the psyche to it's like putting their finger in the air Mm -hmm. to see where the wind's blowing in the district. Mm -hmm. That's what you got to do. Again, 202-224-3121. That is the capital switchboard. That is inside my brain, seared into my head. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mark. We we appreciate that. I hope that answered all the questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that the Korean Peninsula is denuclearized completely. Yeah. Because of the efforts of Donald Trump. No more threat whatsoever from Lil Rocket Man, Kim Jong-un. Yeah. So uh, one month ago. We, that was a joke. We got a. They are not denuclearized. We got a. <laughs> Uh, At all. Text to the email account with a picture of a Philip Bailey Earth, Wind, and Fire tribute. Oh, yeah. At the Denver, at a Denver hospital from someone who didn't leave their name. Um, but they took a picture of this and they sent it and they said, For Brittany was at the Denver hospital today. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. Um, actually, first of all, hope everything's okay at the hospital. Hopefully you just work there. Maybe they just got a real good cafeteria. Yeah. Having a good snack. Some of the best coffee in Denver is at the hospital. Yes. And then um, secondly, thank you for sending me the photo and thinking of me when you see Philip Bailey or Earth, Wind and Fire related content. It makes me feel like I've done something useful in the world. So isn't it it a little weird to 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 have a a portrait of Philip Bailey and not uh, the the original guy, the main uh, Maurice White. Maurice White, yeah, isn't that a little weird? Well, n- no, I mean Maurice White founded the band. Yes, okay. Yeah, but wasn't but- wasn't Philip Bailey like an addition? After I mean, I know they bring him on stage, or he doesn't. They don't bring him on stage. He comes out on stage with with like the bass player, who's the crazy Verdine Verdine guy, Verdine yeah. White, Verdine White. But don't. They kind of put it out there that he's an original member, but didn't they add him later? Well, I mean, I, I'm probably wrong. I mean, Maurice White founded the band. Like, he got the whole thing going, and he brought in Verdine, Philip Bailey. So I don't think it's weird to do a tribute to Philip Bailey when he is one of the core original members of the band, hmm. right? I mean, when you talk about Earth, Wind & Fire, you don't need to always only praise Maurice White because he founded the band. Yeah, it's like it's like having a journey fo- you know, uh, portrait at the Denver hospital mm-hmm. and having this new guy, the Filipino dude, 
and not Steve Perry. I don't think that that is No, it's exactly like that. All. It is exactly like that. Okay. It's an unnecessary attack and <laughs> very disrespectful yeah. toward Philip Bailey, yeah. who followed me on Instagram for like six months. And then he just got tired of that shit. It was actually like two days. I think he did that thing where he like spam followed everybody to try to get some followers yeah, himself yeah, yeah. and then unfollowed <laughs> all the people that he spam followed, you know? How dare you, sir? Yeah, speaking I, to Philip Bailey uh, now. I thought you were talking to me. No. So anyway, thank you for yes. the listeners. We yes. appreciate that. It's very that. nice when people think of me and, and send those to me. That's it's nice. like when people, when people see Earth, Wind, and Fire and they immediately think Brittany Page. Yeah. I think that's nice. Of course. Are there any other communications from the audience? There are not. All right. We would love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone or a regular old email I doubt it at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. Thank you to all of our beautiful Patreon supporters and all of our listeners, all of the people who shop on Amazon. If that is something that you want to do by supporting Jeff Bezos, um, we just want to make sure that you are informed about what's happening there. Um, He's not struggling. He's still the richest man on the planet, worth over $100 billion himself after... After he gave like $30 billion to his ex-wife in the divorce. He does not treat his employees well. Um, people <laughs> die in the warehouse. He's trying a, to make shipping we happen. Do a bang up commercial so for the Amazon. If link. that's something that you're doing, though, um, might as well support the show, I guess. I shop on Amazon still. Mm. It's convenient AF, as they say. Well, it's we should all reconsider uh like whether or not we actually need something shipped in 12 hours dollamore.com slash amazon and the effect that that has on people here's the effect it has on people (laughs) one jeff bezos has to give some of the money he would take to us so you're actually i wouldn't say enriching because it's not that much money but you're, you know, you're helping out the, the good folks. Yeah, but I'm just saying, don't do the, like, immediate shipping option. Do, like, you don't need it right away, right? No. It just stresses people out. You know what it I like about... It stresses the drivers out. They're getting into accidents. It's not good. I like the fact that you can do the, like, standard shipping, and then they give you, like, $5 off your next purchase on your Amazon card. Yeah, so do something like that. Yeah, and then people give don't people stress a break. out. Yeah, give people a break. They don't have to have their wiener like glued into a soda bottle while they're working so they can just pee. Yeah. Like I... a makeshift catheter. Okay, so I'm starting to get uncomfortable. With what? The wiener talk? So anyway, you could also support the show on <laughs> PayPal, and we are doing the push for the Thanksgiving episode. So we are accepting submissions starting now. We have still yet to receive any so for this, this year's episode the ground rules anonymous do not say your name in the recording do not thank us for the show or our influence in your lives although we do appreciate that very much it's just that that's not what the show is about it's not about us it's about 
you and what you're thankful for, what you've gone through, um, uh, reflection, period. Uh, it is a family-friendly episode, so no cursing. And uh, on that episode, we talk about good news. We sometimes give Thanksgiving facts. Uh, and we play the mashup of what the listeners are thankful for. So we would be really happy if you would contribute to that. Please find a quiet place to record your voice memo of under three minutes and send it to idoubtitatdollamore.com. Way under three minutes. If you could do it a minute, minute and a half, it's actually even better. But do what you got to do. I do edit. So. And if you could, in the headline, in the subject of the email, say Thanksgiving 2019, that would just help us organize all of the clips and help keep them separate from the other listener communication. Absolutely. If you don't do that, I'll take it as a message of uh, you telling me to go fuck myself. And um, <laughs> if that's the message you want to send, all right. All right. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for all your support, all your listenership, all of your ratings and reviews on the iTunes. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we finished up episode 628 last evening. About 10 o'clock or so. We're getting ready to record this one we're doing right now. And then Donald Trump tweeted, something really big just happened. Seriously, the president of the United States of America. The reality TV show host. The commander in chief of the armed forces of the United States of America tweeted, Something really big just happened. A little teaser. A little teaser for for the fact that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi had been killed. He didn't say what it was, mm -hmm. but because of good reporting and I guess leaked intelligence, mm -hmm. leaked military operations, we found out that it was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi or as Donald Trump calls him, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciated the um, kind of throwback to the original tweet style that we all engaged in when we first got on Twitter in like 2009. <laughs> I'm eating pizza. Yeah. <laughs> on the way to the grocery store, LOL, just took a lengthy piss. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you know, like when every single detail of your yeah. life was being tweeted in just one sentence. Sitting on the toilet with the cheeseburger. Mm -hmm. That's Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I would never do that. That would be fucking insane. Yeah. So, we waited to do the show because we wanted to see exactly what had transpired. We speculated. The media speculated. I tweeted a couple things out. Mm -hmm. A couple of speculative A couple of speculative. Items? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I take... Uh, there are certain reporters... There are certain reporters that when they, when they make an announcement of reporting that they've gotten from their sources... Yeah. I... I I'm confident in it. So I I, I was uh, fairly confident that it was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Anyway, so Donald Trump took to the microphone today for 48 minutes or so. Which is ridiculous because I believe that when Obama made his announcement that Osama bin Laden had been killed. It was probably, I bet you it was fewer than three minutes. I think they're reporting it was like three and a half minutes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds about right. Walk up to the mic, reveal the information. 
and leave. Yeah. And D- Donald Trump didn't do that, of course. He, it needs to be a spectacle. He goes into gross detail about whimpering like a coward. Like Donald a dog. Trump, Donald Trump, fucking coward extraordinaire. Bone spur coward McGee is talking about how someone else is a whimpering like a dog. And how other little puppies that were following him were also whimpering. What are you doing? He's been surrounded by a bubble of his dad's money his whole life and wants to act like a tough guy. It's, yeah, it's really remarkable. It's fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. So he did make an announcement, then took questions, taking credit all over the book. This is the, the 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 most feared, the number one terrorist, even brought up when Osama bin Laden was killed yeah. to try to take away from that <laughs> accomplishment of the United States military. Well, he was doing it to try to take away the limelight off of Obama. Yeah, but it was one of the more remarkable comments that he made because he was... I mean, you remember all this backlash that Ilhan Omar received for her 9-11 comments? Yeah, the Donald Trump was something. trying to yeah. uh, downplay what happened on 9-11. That's exactly right. Well, you know, Osama bin Laden did some things, but it really, he's only famous because of the one thing that he did. That's what he said. Uh, for the World Trade Center. I think yeah. he specifically said, yeah. But he's indicating it's only because of the World Trade Center that he's famous. It's horrifying. Not because of the, the, all the horrible shit that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi did. Or Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Because everything's written in the prompter phonetically. Because he's a fucking moron. Anyway, that's what happened Here's a little news package about it. President Trump just confirmed that the most wanted terrorist in the world is dead. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS, the most ruthless and violent terror organization anywhere in the world. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. The president said that U.S. Special Forces blitzed al-Baghdadi's compound in northwest Syria overnight, chasing him into a tunnel where the president said al-Baghdadi detonated a suicide vest, killing himself along with three of his children he had dragged along with them into that tunnel. CNN senior international correspondent Nick Payton Walsh is live for us right now in Erbil, Iraq. And Nick, the the president gave quite a vivid account of this raid. Absolutely. At times, the rhetoric was quite sort of crude funeral honesty, the notion of uh, Baghdadi dying like a whimpering coward. Uh, He talked about how there were some frightened puppies in some cases who were fighting alongside Baghdadi. A vivid picture certainly painted at times. It's helped by a president who was almost in awe, possibly, of the U.S. security machinery unfolding around him. You referred to how he got to watch it, and it was often as though you were watching a movie, uh, possibly uh, at times revealing a little more than his security chiefs would have liked. He was at pains to say they would not say from which base, he said a port, from which base this was launched, but they had gone in and out the same way, uh, and also suggested that the flight time was an hour and ten minutes. Now, a basic assessment of that in helicopters means you're probably looking at maybe somewhere in the Mediterranean or possibly even somewhere in Iraq, but a lot of details seem to emerge here that seem to be on the edge of the comfort zone of what his officials may necessarily have liked. Uh, But also interesting, too, to to point out how uh, he referred to Turkish airspace being used. That, of course, is the nature 
nature of how close uh, they are to the border there, but also it pains to thank Russia. He said Russia was great, but also how the Syrian Kurds gave us some information that turned out to be helpful. Uh, a president certainly there uh, trying to seem, by use of the first person consistently, part of that operation, while at the same time, clearly, I think, in awe of how it unfolded around him. Jake. All right, Nick Payton Walsh in Erbil, Iraq. Thanks so much. So there are several things that took place in his announcement, not just his mispronunciation and 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 just the the braggadocious, arrogant nature of it. But he's also revealing operational activity that is absolutely something that they want to keep a rap a rap on. It's like. Back during the Iraq war, when when Geraldo Rivera drew a map in the sand of exactly where they were and then promptly got kicked the fuck out of the country as an embed. Oh, God. Because he's revealing classified information. Now, technically, the president of the United States can declassify anything they want at any time. But it doesn't mean it's not irresponsible to do so. The other thing is thanking the Russians first. Yeah, before he said anything about uh, U.S. special forces. Yeah. And he went hard with it, too. He said Russia was great. Russia let us fly through space. Russia hates ISIS as much as us. Yeah. There was a lot of focus on Russia. And, I mean, you said it there, thanking Russia before U.S. special forces. What is the deal there? Well, it's not even thanking Russia. Russia was in on the operation. They knew about the operation. They were consulted. They were talked to. You know who wasn't consulted or talked to or let in to even know that it was happening? Democrats in Congress. Congress in just period. They knew nothing while Vladimir Putin, know the, they knew the story. Let that sink in for a moment. Donald Trump shows more deference, has more respect for Vladimir Putin as a partner in protecting the interests of the United States than he does Congress. That is a fucking problem. And he went so far as to say, right, in when he was asked about this, that Washington leaks like you've never seen. Yeah. This country is the worst for leaks, yeah. whatever. Um, but Russia is rejecting all of this. Uh, you have Russian headlines. They're saying the Russian defense ministry does not believe in al-Baghdadi's liquidation. Mm. Um, they are saying that they had no knowledge um, they're disputing the claim that Russia provided access to the air units. They're lying. I know, but, yeah. but they're disputing it, right? So Donald Trump went to great lengths to praise Russia to yeah. S the D, as we would say on yeah, the show. Yeah, for sure he is. And Russia is like, uh, Russia's like, nope. Yeah. No. Well, the other thing that, that happened here that that's, I mean, it needs to be talked about, is the fact that this intelligence came to us because of the intrepid work of the Kurds. Who Donald Trump just last week was saying, well, there are no angels. And comparing them to ISIS. And they're the ones who made it possible for us to bring down Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. The spiritual and strategic head. The founder of ISIS. 
And we still turn our backs on our allies. It's just... Well, one, I don't think that Donald Trump is going to get the the bump out of this that, let's say, Obama got for bin Laden. Because there's so many disparate elements here that come together to paint a picture of Donald Trump not being earnest in this. Let's also say that there we have some control over whether or not that happens, right? That's not just a thing that happens. Yeah. He already has his base. Now, if... If people start to repeat this line, and I've heard it several times already, that uh, this is what could happen, that he could get more support for this, um, we have the ability to not let that happen by not getting um, swept up in what is a false presentation of Donald Trump's power and ability in, in yeah. the Oval Office. Well, because listen, if it was a real sense of power... And it was he was secure in that. Why would he need a 48-minute presser to talk about how great he is, talking about himself in the first person relative to the operation? Right. And I, I want to read a tweet about this from Bill Weir at CNN. Yeah. And I want to read two responses from Trump supporters just to illustrate how unhinged a lot of the response is that we're seeing to Donald Trump's announcement. Um, so Bill Weir tweeted, President Obama's announcement on the killing of bin Laden lasted three minutes and 30 seconds. President Trump just spent almost that much time describing one of his, quote, 12 very successful books and how he never got credit for warning America about bin Laden. Okay. Yeah. Responses. Loved every minute of it. Hashtag Trump 2020 landslide victory. Okay, that's a Trump supporter. Yeah. Loved every minute of yeah, the yeah. 45 minute talking about 48. the dog and the yeah. whining and the never got credit whining. Um, also this, that's because Obama was probably sad his buddy died and he couldn't hold it together for more than three minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, how do yeah. we deal with these turds? You don't. You fucking ignore them. It's just because uh, they're gonna after D Donald Trump is gone, they're gonna go back to doing what they did before Donald Trump, which is not vote. Yeah, because these people weren't politically active until their racist jerk off in chief came around. So those are the people that are not are, that are already convinced, right? They're already in the Trump camp. Whatever he does, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, like he says, and still have their support. But there may be people who are sympathetic to Trump now, watching this message and thinking, "Oh, wow, he actually did something useful," right? Well, let's let's also remember his tweet from 2012. Stop congratulating Obama for killing bin Laden. The Navy SEALs killed right. bin Laden. Right. There's a tweet for everything, Brittany Page. Right. Um, so we just have to remember, and even Donald Trump agrees, that it's not necessarily who's in office when this happens. Right. Um, you have the generals. Um, all the people that are in charge in the military apparatus that are yeah. already dealing with all of this. It's a and massive then, network. Right. And then they come to the president and they say, we have all this information. We're ready to do this. And because he is the commander in chief, he gets to make the decision. But that's really it. He didn't do any other work. He doesn't even read the briefings. It's a great point. That's a great point. That when when the military devises of something like this, they don't come to Donald Trump and say, hey, listen, we think we know where he is. Let's all sit around the table and come up with an operation, a plan right. to take care of him. They come to him with the intelligence and with the operational details. 
All he has to say is yay or nay. Mm-hmm. He's not part of the planning. He's not a part of the strategy. Right. Yeah. Same with Obama. Mm-hmm. All he has to say is yay or nay. Yeah. And why wouldn't you say, say yes, go ahead, pull the trigger on this? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a, a concern for injury or loss of life on the part of the Americans. Yes. And they said no one, uh, no American yeah. was killed. Not even a hangnail. Anyway, it, it just, it's one more thing. The timing of it is suspect as far as I'm concerned. He's embroiled in this thing. And then he's, de- oh, of course. Yeah, desperate. Holy shit. This is going to be great for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was really frustrated last night because I I knew that the response would be, um, he's going to get a bump from this. He's going to get an increase in approval for this. And it just bums me out because it doesn't matter who was sitting in that chair. Yeah. You know, Hit any bump he does get, though, rest assured, it will be short lived because this next week is filled with testimony from State Department and National Security Council people relative to. The impeachment inquiry. People who are now being told by their uh, by their leaders, by their bosses, by the heads of their departments, you are not supposed to cooperate, and they're going to do it anyway. The the headlines for this, of course, it's history. We we know that it happened, but it, the, he is going to be inundated with the scandal. It's going to be back on the front burner as soon as tomorrow rolls around. So take take heart in that. And speaking of that. Let's talk a little bit about what happened last week with Bill Taylor. Veteran, lifetime public servant Bill Taylor. Hand-picked diplomat to Ukraine from the United States by Mike Pompeo. Not a never-Trumper. Former West Point graduate. Former Army officer. Testified last week to the the quid pro quo about the texts, painting the picture of the rife corruption within the Trump administration related to enlisting the foreign interference in our democracy. In explosive testimony, Bill Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, personally implicates President Trump in a quid pro quo pressure campaign describing in detail how Trump withheld military aid to force Ukraine to investigate his political rivals. This is the my most disturbing day in Congress so far. Very troubling. Democrats in the room say there were gasps and sighs as Taylor, a career diplomat, described eight separate times he was told the president demanded pressure be put on Ukraine to investigate the Bidens and debunked theories about the 2016 election. His opening statement, which is now in the public domain, is devastating to Donald Trump. It was very damning for the president. For weeks, Taylor says he was given no reason for why that much needed assistance was being held up. But then in September, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sondland, told him the president himself wanted Ukraine to announce a public investigation into his Democratic rivals. Ambassador Sondland said everything was dependent on such an announcement, including security assistance. 
that Trump insisted Ukrainian President Zelensky go to a microphone and say he is opening investigations of Biden and 2016 election interference, and that Trump wanted Zelensky in a public box by making a public statement about ordering such investigations. Taylor detailing the pressure campaign that Trump has repeatedly denied. But there was no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. According to Taylor, the secretaries of defense and state, the CIA director and the national security advisor sought a joint meeting with the president to convince him to release the hold on the aid. But that meeting never happened. Taylor describes an irregular, informal channel of U.S. policymaking that included Ambassador Sondland and was led by the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. That unofficial channel, Taylor says, was running contrary to the goals of longstanding U.S. policy. Now, Taylor alerted multiple officials, including the Secretary of State, sending Secretary Pompeo a cable describing the, quote, folly he saw in withholding this aid, which Taylor says was potentially life-saving and critical to fending off Russian aggression. Taylor told Pompeo he simply could not defend holding up this aid, but Taylor says he did not receive a response. George. Okay, Mary, not much response either from Republicans on Capitol Hill, but the White House did put out a statement. Yeah, in a statement, the White House says that there was no quid pro quo. They continue to insist that the president has done nothing wrong. They say this is just a, quote, smear campaign by far-left lawmakers and radical unelected bureaucrats. But Taylor, of course, was put into this position in Ukraine by Pompeo himself and has served under presidents of both parties since 1985. Yes, Mary, and before that, he would graduated with honors from West Point, served in the infantry in Vietnam. So this idea that he's a radical waging war on the Constitution, that's a quote from the White House statement is the smear right there directly contradicted by Taylor's lifetime of service. Donald Trump has also called him human scum. Oh, yeah, which was backed up by Stephanie Grisham. Oh, my God. Stephanie Grisham. Can we pause for a second and talk about this woman? What the hell is going on? It's just trash. She is worse. Yeah, she is fucking trash. She is worse than Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. And I didn't know that was possible. It's like it's like I always warn. The devil we don't know might be worse than the devil we know. It, do you agree that yeah, she's worse she's than Sarah Huckabee total Sanders? Trash. I'm shocked by how I mean why am I shocked? You know, it, it, I don't know her. She worked for Melania Trump. Anyone who's willing to accept this job obviously has something wrong with them. Well, she she's goes back to helping out on the ca- campaign. She also campaigned for Mitt Romney, but she's like the wife of some Arizona news guy. She's got multiple DUIs, even while on the campaign. She's just no college education. She's just... I mean, all of those things don't point to her being a bad person. It's just the... Ca- caliber of person it's there's no disqualification for working in the trump administration yeah you know what i mean she released a statement calling trump a genius oh yeah no against john kelly yeah that john kelly was unequipped to deal with the great the genius of our great president are you fucking kidding me, you trash person this is what i mean by being worse than sarah huckabee sanders it's pretty remarkable i mean we've gone from just lies to straight up crazy propaganda yeah so anyway back to bill taylor um donald trump has called him human scum on um cnn state of the union with jake tapper today he had on three veterans who worked or served with uh bill taylor to defend his character and um 
counter the points that are being made, the aggressive and horrifying insults from yeah. the president of the United States. I mean, calling someone human scum because they're testifying in the impeachment inquiry. I mean, honestly, what does that say, right, about how threatened That's Donald right. Trump feels? They're uh, not attacking what he said. They're attacking him personally. Yeah. I mean, if you if you were really in a position where you did nothing wrong, why would you be lashing out at people who are testifying, right? Yeah. No, who cares? Exactly who cares right. what they're saying? You have nothing to worry about. But, that's right. But you do have something to worry about. And that's why you're trying to assassinate the character of people who are, are apparently, by all accounts, uh, good people. Yeah. <laughs> Not human scum. And, it, you know, it's going to be I do. I do predict that over time we're going to start garnering garnering more and more Republican support in the Senate that are going to end up voting for uh, removal. But as of right now. Who are who are Republicans going to side with? Donald Trump, this fucking maniac, or someone who's dedicated their life and service to the United States, both militarily and diplomatically? It shouldn't even be a question. But it is. Instead, you've got Lindsey Graham continuing to say, oh, no, there was no quid pro quo, when clearly there was. Just from the transcript of the call, we know there's a quid pro quo. Just from the transcript summary that they themselves released, we know there is. By the way, there doesn't need to be a quid pro quo for this to be a problem either. He's trying to focus in and hone in on the quid pro quo because that's what he wants to try to make it about. But we don't even need the quid pro quo for this to be yeah. impeachable. Because he's asking um, for... Even if he's not giving something in return, he's asking for interference in our democracy. Right. Uh, good point. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about John Kelly, and I just want to kind of, as an aside, he gave this interview with the Washington Examiner, and this is what Stephanie Grisham responded to, because John Kelly blames Mick Mulvaney for Donald Trump's current problems. Calls him a yes man. He said, quote, <laughs> it pains me to see what's going on, because I believe if I was still there or someone like me was there, he would not be kind of all over the place. Yeah. End quote. And this quote is remarkable because in it is an admission that Donald Trump is an unhinged goofball. That he is, that he is, he is a man. He is a president needed babysat. Yeah. That he needs someone to keep watch. Yeah. And dictate what his behavior needs to be specifically what he needs to say, how he needs to comport himself in order to not make himself look bad. Yeah, John Kelly was effectively when you go bowling and you got a toddler with you and they put up those guardrails in the gutters. John Kelly was the guardrails in the gutters of the White House mm -hmm. because without him, Donald Trump is just going off into the gutter constantly. Yeah. Gutter balls left and right with Donald Trump. So it's just fascinating to me that it's just plain as day this admission that yes he needs people around him that yeah. are holding him back and telling him please for the love of god stop we're trying to help you Ugh. so god damn so uh what is happening yeah <laughs> so kristen how do you say your name christian kirsten uh kirsten nelson nelson Nelson. Kirsten Nelson. Yeah. Uh, she was interviewed at Fortune's Most Power Women Summit on Tuesday. 
This is the one that Hillary Clinton bowed out of. Mm-hmm. And then like everyone else bowed out of it because she was going to be there. Yes. Kirsten Nelson. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I watched the entire interview and she was not happy with this interview. <laughs> and I can see why. Because uh, Amna Nawaz of PBS NewsHour mm. killed this interview. She was awesome. And... Nielsen thought she was there to talk about like cybersecurity or something. And at the end of the interview, she's like, well, this entire thing was about family separations. And I wasn't here to talk about that. I was here to talk about cybersecurity, which is my area of expertise. And so let me just quickly talk about how everyone needs to like be safe online. Uh, well, first of all, you're not a cybersecurity expert. You're an expert at separating children from their families, you fucking monster. Come on. So this was an impressive interview because several times uh, Nielsen tried to get out of things and uh, filibuster and her feet were really held to the fire. So I just want to be very clear as to what, what was decided and what was not decided. We I am, to be clear, yeah. asking you about your decision to sign a memo in April of 2018 yes. that endorsed separating families at the southern border. Right, and it did not. What it did was it said we were going to enforce the law. There was no, to be clear, there is no federal law mandating separation of families. No, there's a federal law that says that it's illegal to cross between ports of entry. That's right. The judge said... That yes, it's illegal. And the judge said, yes, in the United States, we don't send kids to prison or to a custodial setting with their parents. The decision was to enforce the law, not to separate families. Any family. I think we should be very clear about this. There was a policy change at DOJ that was called zero tolerance that said now everyone crossing the southern border would be prosecuted. In order to do that, they needed children separated from their parents so parents could be prosecuted. In your role as the head of Homeland Security, you had to allow for your agents to separate children from their family. You made that decision in the spring of 2018. I'm asking you if you regret making that decision. I don't regret enforcing the law because I took an oath to do that, as did everybody at the Department of Homeland Security. We don't make the laws. We asked Congress to change the law. Congress reviewed the law in 2006 and decided to continue to make it illegal to cross in that manner. What I do wish had worked a lot better is that the coordination and information flow were simply insufficient for that number of people coming. It's heartbreaking that any family felt at any time that they had to cross the border illegally. Because this is a terrible, dangerous journey. It's terrible. So what I regret is that we haven't solved it, and what I regret is that that information flow and coordination to quickly reunite the families was clearly not in place, and that's why the practice was stopped through an executive order. In the lead-up to that policy being signed, we know on the other side of of the government on HHS, where they were responsible for the care and custody of those children, they were raising red flags. They saw the numbers of children coming in, being separated, and said, this will cause lifelong trauma and harm to these children. There should not be an official policy to separate children. We now know also in your agency, senior staff raised concerns about civil rights issues and trauma to children. Did anyone in the lead-up to you signing off on family separation raise those concerns with you? So everything was, of course, reviewed by the Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. It was reviewed by the lawyers. These were the recommendations from the operational entities to enforce the law, because from their perspective, they're law enforcement agents who have taken an oath, and that's their duty. The bigger challenge here is to prevent uh, families from coming that way, because it's extraordinarily dangerous. 
Uh, so yes, all of those people, if you, if you followed the timeline as well, uh, after the Attorney General made his announcement, we spent a month uh, looking through, trying to make sure that we would do it uh, and enforce the law uh, in the most compassionate way possible. And what I mean by that is if you had children under five, the policy was we would not refer you to prosecution despite the fact that you had broken the law. And despite but we know now that children under five were, in fact, separated from their so families. Some of them were. If you look through the court cases, though, there's other reasons why families are separated. If the adult accompanying them is not a parent, unfortunately, we saw a tremendous increase in fake families of adults, unfortunately, using Secretary, children. but you and I both know that the number of fraudulent families, as they're classified, are statistically insignificant. That's in incorrect. Them crossing That's the incorrect. What's the percentage of fraudulent It's families? over 500 families, and out of the 49,000 children that HHS had in its care that were unaccompanied, under 2,000 were because of the fact that their parents chose to break the law. The El Paso sector just released numbers that showed of the families that they found to be fraudulent, it's less than 1% of all the families crossing at that time. But that's one of 90 border crossings. That is crossings. one of the most highly trafficked sectors. Right, though. so 1% still is at a the same time, number. How fair is it to hold up a, sig- a statistical insignificant number as a priority for you? Why does that justify family Well, separation? because I think if we, it doesn't, it's not about justifying it. My point is that what we need to be focused on together is trying to stop all of this horror of these families coming in this way. We don't want them to have to go to a smuggler or a trafficker. I guess what I'm saying is one woman who's raped, one child who is exploited is too many. So the system needs to be changed so that they don't have to come that way, which is why, among many other things, I propose legislation to Congress to allow families and individuals to claim asylum before they ever get to the United States so that they don't have to take this journey, which is so horrible. Did people ever specifically raise to you the concern that children will be traumatized as a result of this policy? Not when I was writing, not during that Not directly to you. You never heard those concerns? Not from staff, no. I mean, I think it from a, the biggest from child welfare experts, yeah, anyone from outside the, biggest, the government, from the biggest. This was nothing new, uh, to be clear. So we we played that lengthy clip there, so that you can. I mean, you can feel the weight of the discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. And also, not doing a good job of explaining herself because that woman was armed with facts, armed with statistics. Armed with data. Right. Ready for her to come back and try to talk about the, as they're called, fraudulent families. Yeah. And she knew, right? That 1%. That, that it's statistically insignificant and she's trying to blow it up as though it's this super common problem. Yeah. Right. Um, and Nielsen didn't have the numbers. Yeah, of course. Right? She's just there saying, well, that's not true. Well, the other thing here is, he, here's here's something a lot of people don't know or don't understand or don't think about enough. And that's the fact that, yes, it is against the law to cross the border illegally. It is not against the law to be in the country illegally, only to cross the border. But it's not like it's a felony. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a drunken public ticket. It's like having a beer in the street and being stopped and given a ticket by police. It is a low-level misdemeanor. It is certainly not if you get, drink a beer in public and you get a ticket for it that they take your kids and throw them in a cage. That's not what it is. It's not that kind of crime. And for her to act like, we're just following the law, we're just following the law, we're just following... No, you're not! You're trying to rewrite history and thankful for this woman, this woman I am as I go Yoda here, that she's holding her feet to the fire 
with the facts, with the actual data that point to her being a liar. Well, and even the I was just following the law, right? It, the the questioning there in the clip ended with her saying, were you ever approached by people who said that they were concerned that this is problematic, that there's going to be lifelong consequences for these children that are being separated from their families? Um, the reason that she asked that question is because there were concerns. Yeah. Among people who worked there, that this was a problem, that this wasn't right. Yeah. And when you're in a position of power, your job is not just to go along, to get along. Well, listen. Unle- unless that's what you want to do, but you are then going to be called to the carpet to answer for what you did. And held accountable. There will likely be hundreds of children who never see their parents again. Because not only was this policy enacted hastily, there was no plan for record keeping. They're more organized at the Ikea when you drop your kid off at the play place for how they're going to pair kids with parents than there was with the United States government stripping away children from their parents and moving them across the country. From their parents. It's not even like the parents were kept in the same city. Some kids were moved to New York City while their parents were in Arizona. What the fuck? Human rights abuses. And thankfully, this reporter from PBS, what's her name again? Amna Nawaz. Amna Nawaz. Thankful for her. I am. Again, here we are with well, the Yoda. Well, and let's also say, so th- this uh, conference gathering, whatever it was, was widely criticized because they were going to have Nielsen at this event. Look what happened. Yeah. Look what happened. And I, I understand that if she had gotten a different interviewer, right? If she had just been able to talk about cybersecurity for 10 minutes. It right? would have elevated her position as an expert. Yeah. It would have validated her as someone that we need to respect. Right. But... You had someone who uh, questioned her and held her feet to the fire and did not let her off the hook. I'm not I'm not kidding when at the end of this like 10 minute interview, she spoke about cybersecurity for 30 seconds and was frustrated that she didn't have an opportunity to talk about it. She's like, well, the reason I was here was for her. So let me just quickly say. Yeah. Well, listen, I don't blame those those ladies who 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 opted out, who said, nah, I'm not going to fucking share the stage with this bitch. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they um, that they made a mistake or that they were dumb by protesting. That's totally fine. I'm just saying a lot of the concern surrounding what is going to happen when this person is interviewed or questioned like this is the ideal scenario. Per- yeah, you're right, for sure. This is what is supposed to happen. And I understand it doesn't always happen. And that's why people get freaked out and don't want people to have platforms. But this is an example of it going right, going the right way, going the way that we want it to go, where people in positions of power are held accountable. And she was not happy during this entire thing. She was uncomfortable. At one point, she got very combative with the interviewer. So this is what we want to see more often. And I'm very happy that uh, she had the ability to sit through that discomfort, not Nielsen, uh, Amna Nawaz, and continue to go after her and try to get some answers from her. And armed with the facts. Absolutely. That's the, that's the deal here. Because a lot of times these people will answer whatever question they have with a non-answer and they're allowed to do it because they can't be fact-checked in the moment in real time because journalists aren't prepared. 
She was prepared. That's a good thing. Anyway, we got a couple other topics, but we're going to save them for next time. One is the fact that this anonymous op-ed writer, remember, last year, they're writing a book. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Yeah. And then also the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation is now a criminal investigation by the Justice Department. We're going to look into all of that on next time, which will be episode 630. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about all of this? Any of this? Anything else you have on your mind? 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We love you. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Way to make me feel like a dick, by the way. You're welcome. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Holy shit.